Our Presence. Welcome to Fatal Follower Presents, a spooky safe space to celebrate horror and all things horror adjacent, where you can feel free to geek out with your creep out. I am your host, Donnie Ibarra, and joining me today is the other half of Brothers Grimm, Captain Creature himself, Travis. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a while since we've uh, touched base on horror. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of announcements, a lot of cool stuff happening in horror. Yeah, it is. So this is going to be another Brothers Grimm episode. Uh, we're going to be combining forces. Um, and like we said in previous episodes, uh, Travis and I, we're going to be uh, spreading the, the, the horror love throughout our, both of our horror podcasts and to all of our fans and listeners respectively. And we appreciate all the feedback you've given us on the Brothers Grimm specific episodes. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about Fear Street 1994, which dropped uh, the week before last. And then we're going to get into some recent announcements through some of the boutique labels. And then we're going to cap off the end of the episode with the I Know What You Did Last Summer franchise. So oh, let's yeah. get started. All right, Captain. So Fear Street 1994 dropped week before last. Uh, did you get mm-hmm. to catch up on that? I did. So I haven't watched the 1978 because I'm a slacker. Um, I figured if you have, you can kind of give like your spoiler free. And I don't know, maybe we'll we'll do like spoiler free. Or I don't know if you want to go into spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can go through some Fear Street 1994. We can drop some spoilers. I think for most of my episodes, I, I'm pretty <laughs> liberal with dropping yeah. spoilers. And I think um, that's the that... one. I think that's the one that everybody's probably seen by now. Uh, yeah, at this point, I think most people have saw it. And then if not, there's going to be a disclaimer so that it, uh, at least if you haven't, just to skip to the second segment. Yeah. Um, so you want me to go into Fear Street 1994? Yeah, so what was your, I guess, initial reactions uh, to watching the Fear Street? Uh, so I loved the fucking, um, I feel like this is the first movie in a while that's kind of taking you back to that place of growing up. Like, And it's a perfect series to do that on with Fear Street, right? Because it's like Fear Street with R.L. Stein and Goosebumps and the Point Horror books were all very, very important to horror fans, like. You know, if you're from, like, age, like, 30 to, like, 45, maybe even, then R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike and, you know, um, Lois Duncan, you know, another one that we're going to talk about today, like, her series, um, those are names that are, like, gospel to us. You know, those are names that, and I've always, I've never abandoned, I I realize R.L. Stein isn't the greatest writer ever or whatever, but it's like, there you got to have that that stuff to like bring you in right and i feel like that this series did a fantastic job of like taking you back to that time because obviously i was only four years old but it's like those first couple scenes of her in the mall and then closer by uh, nine inch nails comes on and it's like (laughs) you're like it's throwing you all these and i was like bub is probably treating this like you know his freshman dance like you know hearing all these songs by garbage i'm only happy when it rains and like I, I don't know. I felt like it did a great job, dude, of putting us. And it wasn't just for like the sake of nostalgia. It was like they actually felt like I felt like that they delivered um, like a great homage to slasher movies and stuff too. Oh yeah, definitely. 
I I think we mentioned this in previous episodes. I was never really um, as much into R.L. Stein as I was Christopher Pike, but I did enjoy the Fear Street books, and I did enjoy uh, a lot of the things that weren't Goosebumps because yeah. I think I was past the age of Goosebumps. Yeah, but uh, I did like his young adult, teenage like slasher, young adult slasher horror horror books. Yeah, and I think that um, this first uh, movie really did. Uh, sort of offers some Easter eggs and homages to some of his works. I, I, I was thinking of one of them uh, when you see that at the beginning of this movie, which obviously you mentioned, they're dropping, you know, garbage, bush, nine inch nails, like right off the bat, yeah. uh, which is which is a great uh, way to start a 90s set uh, yeah. movie. But the the librarian, which I, I don't know if you recognize, but she was from Stranger Things. And she uh she's in the the b dalton books which is a is a super blast from the past um fun fun side story that was the first bookstore i went into as a kid and walked out with a book and didn't pay for it because <laughs> i didn't know how payment worked as a kid so i just kind of walked out with it and then mom and dad caught me in the mall they were like why do you have a book and i was like oh yeah i just uh you know, can you buy this? I thought we we checked out at the register, like at the end of the mall. And they're like, oh no, 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 this is you have to you have to pay for this like in the store you're in. So, <laughs> what uh, book were you stealing? Do you remember? No, I don't. I mean, it was probably something horror related. But it was Dan I was, Brown's Digital Fortress. It, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was probably something stupid. But uh, anyways, side story, sidetrack, but. In this, in the in B. Dalton's, she picks up the wrong number, which is one of the books. Oh yeah, uh, and I thought that was cool that it didn't have R.L. Stein's name, but that was like the the cover of the book. And I noticed uh, certain segments kind of reminded me of certain books from that era. Like I get the wrong number from that first uh, the beginning sequence, and then I think it's the first evil I believe is with the cheerleaders. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I kind of got that vibe from one of the, um, like the story with like the part where the where Samantha crashes with the two boys. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's another one. And it's I don't think it's from Earl Stein, but it's called Slumber Party. And I it, that kind of reminded me of that when they're all at the house and the intruders there smelling like for the blood. But it's got yeah. I mean it's it's definitely it really did take take us back to the 90s like a lot of the score and like the musical cues and uh, just the way that the the movie starts with the killing like when she's being chased in the mall like uh -huh. that whole scene kind of reminded me of scream at the beginning oh yeah, oh, yeah. big time there's a lot of uh, heavy-handed 90s nostalgia like ham-fisted into your face but i think it was done in such a, a really cool clever way yeah and I think after I finished the movie, like just my initial reaction was I felt like I had watched a really good uh, 90s movie that would have came out like with the teen slasher cycle. And I, I would have said that maybe it was similar to like Scream and maybe like the faculty. Mm -hmm. uh, it had both of those elements where it's like the slasher elements obviously was Scream. But then with the group of kids banding together and like in the school and like the supermarket, all those scenes kind of reminded me of the faculty when they have to like work together to like defeat the evil. Yeah. 
yeah, they're trying to like piece together how to how to do it too. And exactly. It's yeah. more of like a supernatural. And and that's something that I didn't I'll be honest, I didn't see coming. I thought it was gonna be like a straight straight up slasher. Um, I thought somebody else was going to don the mask, basically. Um, but I didn't see the supernatural coming with the witch and all that stuff. But I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think that either. I, uh, I there's a couple stories. There's one that's like I don't think it's I don't think it's from Christopher Pike. I think it's from Diane Ho, maybe. But yeah. I'll have to look. But it's called the accident. And then there's one. Uh, I forget. There's a different one with. I think it's Christopher Pike where this girl visits Greece and like, there's like this exchange of spirits and she's seen uh, the perspective of, of, of this ghost, which in this movie, it's, it kind of reminded me of like the witch parts of the movie, but uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't expect that either, which I, I I'm kind of happy with. I, I thought it was going to be a traditional slasher. And then, you know, those, those elements kind of changed throughout the movie and, uh, it does become something else, and it, it it had that almost goosebumps vibe, but yeah. it was like scream with heavy gore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like and see, um, uh, I felt like it did a um, like Stranger Things also did a good job, like with the eighties nostalgia and stuff. But I feel like this one even more so, at least for me and my tastes. I felt like it wasn't as heavy handed with the stuff like the, uh, the references and like the, Oh, remember this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was just more, it was more uh, like she did a, um, and I, I can't remember the director's name. Um, oh, I think it was a uh, Lee Giniac. I think it was. Yeah. I think she did a really crafty job, you know, of putting this all together, you know, like just, just putting this story together and these kids, like I really liked the kids. I thought the kids were very, um, like, very real for probably 90s kids. And, I mean, again, you'll know better than me because you grew up during that period. Like, you were kind of these kids' age. But it's like, you know, the idea of how they approach, you know, uh, uh, like, gay characters and stuff, I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, well. yeah. That that was a cool element that I wasn't expecting either, is I wasn't expecting it to be um, such a progressive storyline which was kind of it's makes it more contemporary, even though it's set in the nineties. Yeah. But I know after Gabe and I watched it and uh, we watched the second one and he was like, well, the only issue I have with the first one is he said that I don't really like the main character. I feel like she's selfish and she's sort of bratty and this and that. And I'm like, well, to be honest, like, you know, that we were teens during that age, we were kind of bratty and that, I mean, kids are like that at that age, you know? And yeah. So these are, these are the main character is technically Gen X. And I think her little brother is more of like a millennial. So you can see that dynamic that's different. Like she is more, she's writing notes and she's listening to grunge music. She's got an attitude. She's got a chip on her shoulder, obviously because she's gay. And during that time, it was not quite, you know, as it is today. And then you see the dynamic with her little brother who's on the computer, he's on AOL chat, the millennial. And so you get that different dynamic. And so I kind of liked how they had that, that set up, like with those two, I thought that was a, a pretty organic way because it kind of reminded me of us growing up. I mean, yeah. I, I could relate more to her than him. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that, I didn't have issues with that. I think after, I mean, you'll know this when you watch the second movie, 
the second movie I think I like a little better, mm-hmm. but uh, I think I think I like the characters more in the second movie, even yeah. though uh, there's there's some things that are that are different. But I think you'll dig it. So I'm really excited to see what you think about the the second movie. But for this movie, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I really loved the uh, the cake cutting uh, death at the end. With <laughs> that was like some straight. Uh, from Intruder, the, ni- yeah. the 1989 movie, like that was a really cool. I was not expecting that death at all. Another thing about the main character too is that like she's she's very um, into that period and that, that music and stuff. And a lot of uh, like let's face it, a lot of people have grow up with daddy problems. And you know, like it, it mentioned several times um, that you know I think one of the first scenes is like her picking up her dad's beer cans and shit and like. So she is, uh, you know, attaching herself to that kind of music and that time period, like you said, the grungy stuff. And yeah, exactly. She's she's angsty. She's pissed off, and she's dealing with shady side, which apparently has a curse on it. You know, it's the rougher part. Which I was explaining to Gabe. I'm like, so if you're a Parks and Recreation fan, yeah. it's they're the Pawnee and Eagleton is the Sunnyvale. <laughs> so you're, you know, you've got kind of like the shit hand that you're dealt and she's managing. And yeah, she's combative and yeah, she's pissed off, but she has reason to be, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought the, the, the core team of kids was cool. I liked, I liked how the, the the i don't know the i was confused because i was like okay so it's not a slasher movie and then it's going to supernatural but then there's all these slasher elements and throughout the story like they're on they're in like so many different like setup pieces for horror and like stalk and chase scenes like i thought that was really really cool like they go from like you know the school to like the grocery store back to the school um, to the mall, like there's so many venues that they utilized, which I thought they did really well with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and we're gonna have to uh, like because I'm gonna watch part two probably tonight or tomorrow, so we're gonna have to do like a follow up, like in the next episode or whatever to cover part two and with spoilers. Now that like to see if give everybody kind of like the because it is only Sunday and it came out. It is Sunday, right? <laughs> it <Monday>. is. Yeah. <laughs> so it is yeah, only this... Sunday. And, you know, it came out Friday. So I'm like, all right, you know, give people a little time to see it and shit. People's work schedules are fucked up like I am, like my, my, like my work schedule sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think definitely uh, I would recommend this. I, I've heard a lot of positive uh, feedback from people like friends and, and people on, on social media that have said that it's pretty good. Um, I, I think... I'm really excited for the third one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the first movie ends in a really cool uh, cliffhanger kind of way. And I was reading a little bit of factoids about it. And it seemed like this was filmed in 2019. And it was supposed to be, I guess, between the 21st Century Fox acquisition from Disney that kind of threw it a little bit in limbo. Yeah. And so it was technically, I think it was going to come out in theaters but over like a couple months and so instead they had that deal with netflix so they ended up doing it like this which i think is a, is a pretty cool way to to do an event sort of trilogy but mm-hmm. uh i i think it would have played really well in theaters too i yeah i think it would have been a cool way to like end uh on the cliffhanger which it does end on and 
uh, part two sets up a, a really interesting dynamic for 78. And then you get to 1666. I'm just wondering if they're going to do any more uh, adaptions. I know they're, I know that I think they're doing some Christopher Pike stuff on Netflix, but I'm just wondering if they're going to dip into a little bit more of that young adult stuff since this is so successful. Yeah, I hope so, dude. I hope we get like a chain letter, you know, from Christopher Pike and, you know, definitely. Um, I, I think Christopher Pike was like, and I get all these parties mixed up because I think Arl Stein wrote a surprise party. He wrote Ski Weekend, but Christopher Pike also wrote like, the weekend or like <laughs> yeah you know, it's always about the weekend or the party or like oh yeah the weekend the weekend was a good one yeah yeah and i can't remember who wrote that like you know they're all like i think that's christopher pike too yeah <laughs> all the um and like i said the the covers you know if you buy them nowadays it's like a it's like a woman crying or a woman looking into the mirror <laughs> and it's like, god damn it man <laughs> yeah i'm on a hunt for some of the older stuff i I was I was almost going to pick up the Fear Street collection or not maybe not Fear Street but it was an R.L. Stein collection but I think it has Slumber Party and the Overnight and another one but I, I was like eh, I'm going to wait and get some of the older ones I just want the older ones again. Um, how long and this is uh, Adam Caesar little name drop on Twitter um, excellent writer for those of you out there not familiar with his stuff. Um, but he wrote on Twitter, he was like, how, how long until we get some of those reprints, you know, in Barnes and Noble of those original covers? I think it's coming. It's got to be coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that with the success of this, this could really kick off a really cool way to reintroduce a different generation to those stories. And I'm all about it. I, and speaking of Adam Caesar, I would love if they would do an adaption of Clown in a Cornfield, because yeah. I think that would fit in so well. Uh, oh, yeah. with that 90s slasher teen slasher aesthetic oh, um yeah. but yeah i'm looking forward to uh talking about 1978 and going forward to 1666 so you'll hear some more from us here at fatal follower presents and brothers grim about the fear street saga um definitely pick up those old books if you see them out um, i would say uh, just to give you a little bit of insight those books have been uh, so they were written by Earl Stein starting in 89, um, 1995, a series of books inspired by Fear Street called Ghosts of Fear Street, mm. which is a little bit for younger readers. Um, those came out. And um, even though he stopped writing, uh, he did some he did bring it back in 2005 with the three part uh, Fear Street Nights miniseries. But as of to, as of today, they've sold over 90 million copies. So they're still Holy shit. They're pretty, I mean, and Arl Stein's one of the most, uh, you know, well-known, well-respected young adult um, horror writers out there, comic book writer. Mm -hmm. So I would say definitely check out his books and definitely check out Fear Street on Netflix. Um, I think out of a 10, I would definitely give this movie a high rating, probably a 9 out of 10, because I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I'd give it an 8 or 9 out of 10, too. I really enjoyed myself. Like, it was really fun watching it. Yeah, I hope that the third one, uh, I hope once the third one is, is comes out, I mean, the reviews have been good for the two. Hopefully they'll do a, a really cool release for it, because I would definitely like to put those on my uh, bookshelves here uh, to, with my other 90s horror stuff. 
but yeah, I, I want like a box set where the the um you know the outside case looks like a Fear Street novel. That'd be fucking killer, dude. That would that would be awesome. I can already tell like the extras <laughs> for this release that has not happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> so have you been watching anything, reading anything new? Not really, to be honest. Um I have been reading like um I've been getting into like Fear Street a little bit, you know, just like trying to like uh read a couple like here and there. Um, I did want to mention, oh, oh, so I lied. One thing that I did get into was um, uh, James, is it James Tinian Third? Is that how you say his name? Yep. Uh, so he does a, he helps put together a horror magazine called Razor Blades, the horror magazine. And I kind of wanted to pimp them a little bit because uh, I think issue four physical, uh, it's kind of hard to get right now. Like you can order it online and stuff, but it's really killer, man. Um, James Tinney in the fourth, my bad. Yeah, James Tinney in the fourth. But yeah, you can get it on uh, uh, readrazorblades.com. And it's like a horror magazine. Adam Caesar does like a new story in the latest issue, which was issue four. But it's like, I think it's like quarterly. Um, But it's like a, it's a legit like magazine, kind of like the old creepy or eerie. But I've read a couple nice. stories from mine. Like mine just came in yesterday. But um, it's really well put together, really cool. And they, I think they run it like fifteen bucks or something like that, or like twelve bucks, whatever. Like you know, magazines are like going like twelve or you know, you know whatever room work. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to pimp that a little bit because it's like it's really, really cool, really dope covers. Um, but I can send you a cover and you could post that along with this post. Nice. Yeah. Definitely. Um... I I mean, I think a lot of the people that follow me or know me know that we've been moving into a house. So I haven't really uh, been doing anything but moving. Um, I'm, I haven't really watched anything new and I, I haven't really read anything new. But there is a book that I was, uh, Gabe was putting my books up in order for me Uh which was so nice of him because after I looked at like all of my zebra and like all my collection of horror books, I was like, I don't even know where to start for this. Like, I don't even, I don't know how I would start alphabetizing this mess of my, in my room here. Um, but I've been reading the good, the only good Indians for like four years now. I feel like I, I, I still haven't finished it and I might have to reread it. it. Just for some reason, I'm just not getting into it. And I really want to because people keep telling me how good it is. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about it that I just can't get into. And I think it's because it's like anthology style mm-hmm. and I'm kind of losing track of who's who in it. Yeah. So I'll probably put that away for a while. And. I love Rick Hotchula. I mentioned him in our aquatic horror episode with Moonbog, but I got a really big collection of his stuff. And uh, one of the books that um, I was uh, looking at while I was going through my books was called Dead Voices. And it's by uh, Rick Hotchula, cover artist, Richard Newton. And the cover is really cool. It's got a, it's got a, a little girl on the cover with skulls for her eyeballs. And, and there's a, there's a skeletal hand, of course, uh, yeah. over her mouth. So it kind of looks like the cover of Scream a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it, I don't know, I, I, I never read it. It came out in 1990, which is very uh, applicable since we're talking 90s horror. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's about, it says, after her daughter is struck and killed on a desolate highway, 
Elizabeth begins hearing her child's voice calling out to her from the grave. It's pretty simple, uh, but the cover art just kind of hooked me. And so I think I'm going to start that, um, start reading that. So that'd be my new uh, reading recommendation, um, new to me and uh, anybody out there that maybe is looking for something kind of fun, 90s inspired, um, check that out. Hey man, sometimes we have to, uh, we get in our moods. I know you're like a person like that too. Like I'll just get in my mood sometimes and I'm like, yeah, I really want to read like a slasher story. So I'll grab something slashery off the bookshelf, something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's just, yeah, I think that's been the thing with me with the only good Indians is it requires a level of it's, it's not really written complicated, but I think it just requires <laughs> it requires more attention than I'm willing to give to it. It's not a simple story because you're mm -hmm. following, I think, three different timelines um, once you get towards the end. And so you have to really pay attention what happened to people before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, I'm confused. What is it a Wendigo? Like, what the hell's going on? But um, <laughs> I'll probably do a review of, about it just so that I can at least like feel like I contributed something to Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah. Um all right, so let's take a break. Let's take a uh, let's go to our sponsors. And it's time for Macabre Collections. <laughs> All right, welcome back. So we're going to get into some recent announcements. Uh, I think the past couple of weeks we've gotten a dump truck unloaded on collectors for what is being. Uh, thrown at us with horror releases. Uh, some notable ones, at least that I've uh, uh, kind of put in my wish list. Uh, Severin has two announcements. One is a Day of Judgment, which is a '80s. Uh, which I hate to say this, but it's 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 been described as a '80s Christian slasher. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I've never seen it. Um, it's basically, I think death is coming to a little town. And I think it's actually, I, I think it's death or it's someone dressed like death who's killing the townsfolk. Um, it sounds awesome though. And I don't know if, um, I don't know if he's listening, but Luis uh, Gonzalez, uh, Gonzalez, he runs a slash above or he used to run a slash above. And that's kind of how I started writing for Fatal Follower is some of the reviews. And he uh, a slash above is basically an archive of um, of all the slashers that he could write about. And one of these is, is, is featured on the site and he wrote about it. And I read his write up. Not a lot of people have wrote about it. Not a lot of people have watched it or heard about it, but it sounds pretty cool. So I think I'm going to scoop that up. And then another one is uh, Midnight, which has some really cool Tom Savini gore. And it's sort of like cult horror with some Texas chainsaw thrown in. Um, yeah, have you seen either of, of those two? That was one of them. I have not seen either one of those, but Midnight was definitely one that I uh, circled. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty excited. I I do like when Severin uh, gets deep into the like 80s and 90s horror. That's where I usually go to with them. They release a lot of other stuff that I'm just not into, but I appreciate them expanding their library so that they can get a larger base of uh, of collectors. But these two were kind of a surprise, so I'm pretty excited to see what they have for those two. 
Um, yeah, the Syndrome and Severin put out some like fantastic, uh, you know, like up my alley shit, like you know the horror stuff and uh, some of the some of the exploitation stuff. I I dig exploitation stuff, but then they'll put out like straight porn shit. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, like especially vinegar syndrome it'll be like uh sex babes from mars or something you're just like right <laughs> yeah yeah i when uh i go to Soundgarden and look at like some of the vinegar vinegar syndrome stuff and they have some of the like the adult stuff like on top yeah. and i'm just like looking at like wet hot pussy lips or some one of those is like it's like one of the craziest titles ever <laughs> and i think it's like a i think it's like not really porn but it's kind of like like half porn, half movie. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what it's about, but yeah, there's 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 obviously a market for it because they keep releasing them. So yeah, kudos to them. It's probably like Rob Zombie's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like something like someone slimy and dirty would like watch <laughs> that. They're like, yeah, let me get some inspiration from this, but let's also like uh, put a, a a hillbilly family with it, you know. Here's my thing. Okay, so so before we get to the big, big, big announcements, I feel like that a lot of these companies, and, and this, I don't, know, I don't want to make this a negative thing, but like, don't it just seem like that they dump it all on us at once? Like it's almost like a, uh, <laughs> like it's almost like, and I, and I saw this criticism floating around, like with the Halloween 4K editions. It was like, man, can we get yeah. it spaced out a little bit? Like, fuck, you're dropping them like all five at once. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand that. So we'll, let's, so let's talk about the Halloween 4K one through five. Scream Factory announced it. There was all kinds of drama online because someone broke the news first, but then they ended up doing the announcement, obviously, because I think they were going to wait till closer to October. Yeah. But either way, it's like. Uh, well, it's nice that we know now because people that are going to buy those, they're going to have to fucking save up for them. You yeah, know? I need to go out and get another job, apparently. Well, that that's, that's you know, that's the reason why I have a second job is so that I can pay for, like, stuff that are, like, I can geek out on. Um, so there's a little bit of, of, of news about my wallet. But, <laughs> yeah, I... You know, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted with this Halloween 4K 125 announcement. I I am too, so I'm glad that you're going there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that there's some cool new material, like supplemental extras on it. But I just bought that box set a few years ago, and I don't really feel like I need to watch them in 4K. I don't know. Yeah, and, uh, and to be honest, like the cover art is like part three cover art is pretty cool, but I wasn't crazy about the designs. Um, and yeah, I don't need to see Halloween one is already out on 4k and I guess I'm just like, not with the times yet, but I'm like, I'll, I'll, I might get Halloween one and Halloween, you know, I'll, I'll probably get four, you know, three and four. And now I'm saying like, I'll get all of them. But it's, <laughs> You've yeah, already I'm listed like, like four like of them. Two or three or four. Four out of five. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. fuck, man, we did just pay for the box set. Like, what was that? Like a year or two ago? Well, and this, okay, so this is the thing. This is my theory. And maybe it's not true. But when Scream Factory started and they released mm -hmm. Halloween 1, 2, and 3, they did this. And then they... There was like other release other release announcements, and then they did that box set. So that's mm -hmm. what I feel like this is alluding to. I feel like they're doing some separate ones because they know that these will sell separately good, 
and then they'll eventually do the box set. So I'm going to yep. hold out, I think. Yep, they're definitely dude. That's exactly I mean, what why would they do. not do a box set? Like all of everything that's out now is being upgraded to 4K box sets. Like Game of Thrones yeah. is going to be 4K box set. Uh, Lord of the Rings is Harry Potter. So it's natural that something that's going to sell like Halloween that's that's been out of print, like the big box set, is going to sell. So I, I think I'm going to hold out on this. But I will say that if they release Halloween Resurrection on 4K, I will buy it. <laughs> and see, like if you're going to release the five at one time, then why not just release the damn box set? Or at least re- release them all separately all at once. Yeah, like yeah. just do one through eight, and then you can do the other ones. They could have even done one and two this October, and then uh, three and four, like you know, early next year. You know, five and six. You know, in October next year, like they could have spaced it out a little bit. I feel like dropping five at one time might might even be like, and I know March are going to buy the shit out of this shit, and that's probably what they're banking on. They're like, people are going to buy it, like whatever. But I'm like, fuck, man, like they're $40 a disc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to commit to that. I mean, the only, the only way, and I have to like explain why I would buy Halloween Resurrection. Um, the only reason why I would is because my actual disc is like damaged in my box set. Mm-hmm. And I know like I'm such a completist. I'm like, eh, it's all scratched up and like dumpy. Like I kind of want that disc. Mm-hmm. I kind of want a replacement and they can't replace it because it's not being sold ever again. Like until they release it again. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I may eventually buy these separately, but yeah, I think a box set's coming around the corner. Now see, it'll probably be this time next year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And see, like one set that I will buy though, I think is the uh, demons set from uh, Synapse Films. Oh yeah, the 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 demons one and two four K yeah. upgrades. That so, does look pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, so that one, I'm like, okay, forty nine ninety nine. You got Synapse Films doing it. So uh, Don May, I believe. Yeah. And it's like. Uh, those synapse discs man look fucking amazing and that cover art that they release looks amazing and then plus demons one and two i believe i have demons on blu-ray but i don't think i have demons two on blu-ray so i'm like okay i could upgrade there like you know i didn't just buy the full set and stuff like i did with halloween so that one really caught my eye and i was like okay that is like plus it's 49.99 you know that's like i feel like that's a reasonable price for two movies you know yeah that's not too bad and i'm still kind of waiting on them to release that the kindred i think that's been that was announced like several years ago and i i think it's going to be released this fall because there's been some posts about it Mm -hmm. so i think it's going to drop around halloween too but i mean that's like the prime like september october november that's like prime everybody like scream factory obviously vinegar syndrome does the black friday sale um, mm-hmm. And then all of these other titles. I mean, Severin has now gotten a little bit more into that, uh, <clears throat> the Black Friday stuff too. So there's there's just a lot all in, all in the fall. <laughs> but yeah, and just to like give some positivity. So two other ones that I'm excited for are the Lamp, aka the Outing from Vinegar Syndrome, and Alone yeah. in the Dark from Scream Factory. I really am a, a like a pumped to get another version of Alone in the Dark because I love that movie. 
Yeah, yeah. See, I I just bought that a foreign release of that, um, but I'm gonna buy the Scream Factory because I do like. I mean, I do like to have the Region One stuff. Yeah. Um, because of the extras, and I'll, I'll go back to Halloween though. I will say all of those have Dolby Atmos. Do you uh -huh. have Dolby Atmos? Uh, I I'm not sure. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, because it so if your surround sound supports it, then maybe <laughs> I'm going to talk myself into getting them mm -hmm. because that could be a game changer if, if they're all like that could with this with the digital sound. So, yeah. um, yeah, so we'll hype it up a little bit because that in itself would probably sell it. Um, and I'm sure they look fantastic, you know, to be fair, just to end it, you know, positive. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, the blacks, are usually what's an issue with a lot of these older movies is the blacks look like gray or they look kind of washed out. So I'm pretty sure they'll look like crisp uh, transfers. Um, yeah. I mean, Scream Factory is dumping a lot on us. They have Sa return to Salem's lot next month, the borrowers next month, which I'm going to scoop up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a busy time for Scream Factory. Uh, Arrow, uh, you sent me the death screams uh, yeah. special, uh, edition uh, which i'm gonna get i have that uh version of that movie house of death on dvdr so i'm definitely upgrading that's a really cool uh slasher movie have you have you checked that one out i have never seen that so i'm like yeah i gotta get that one too because that cover art is fucking killer too it, yeah it's really cool and i i hope it does i hope they do because that's a slip case i think on one of them i hope they do the reversal uh art with house of death because that one always reminded me of a jason uh cover because it's like the guy holding the machete with through the broken window and i thought that was a cool one too so i'm pretty sure arrow's really good about doing a lot of reverse art on their stuff um yeah i'm definitely picking that one up um and then, of course, like you said, Vinegar Syndrome has the lamp, uh, which I have that on Scream Factory, but this one is going to be a different transfer and different extras. So definitely scooping that one up. Yeah, that Did one's you, a must buy. They, uh, they, they released another movie for this sale, and I'd never seen it, and it's online, and I watched some of it the other day. And it's kind of, it's pretty cool. It's called Through the Fire. Um, okay. Did you see that release on there too? So I heard about that one too. Yeah. I went yeah, back it kind of looked like it's got like a, like a Satanist Night of the Demons vibe to it. But mm -hmm. the, it was cool. There looked like there's some really cool creature effects. So I'm going to scoop that one up too, I think. Wasn't the, uh, wasn't the alternate title for that like Beats of Hell 2 or something like that? Or Yep. Yeah. yeah yep. Yeah, so I think that would be a fun one to to pick up, like a blind buy. Um, and I know October is going to be big for Vinegar Syndrome, too. So there's going to be like a shit ton of stuff even more announced uh, pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So so have you picked up anything uh, recently? Any books, comics, movies that you'd like to talk about? Not really. I was on eBay trying to get some Fear Street books last night, but I was getting outbid. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting outbid like crazily. Oh, um, yeah. I was going to say we should do like an entire episode. We could do an entire episode on like our favorite Vinegar Syndrome releases or our favorite like Arrow releases or Screen Factory. I think that'd oh, be definitely. a really cool collector episode. Yeah, I'll say um, one thing that I had to have rerouted because I forgot that I actually ordered it. <laughs> and I was like pissed because I got the notification. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's going to go to the other address. Um, 
which was, uh, so Ronin Flicks. I don't know. Have mm-hmm. you ever ordered from Ronin Flicks before? Yeah, I believe so. Aren't they the, um, they put out the um, Shredder Blu-ray? Was that it? Yeah. Was that them? Yeah. Yeah. So they do like Scorpion and Code Red releases. And now um, they've opened up to more of like a boutique online where they do Arrow and MVD. And so I picked up their Mortuary uh, uh release that they just dropped last Tuesday. Um, they did a new slip on that. And I love the MVD slips. If you haven't gotten their uh, releases yet, they do really cool slip covers with like their uh, kitschy, like 80s, 90s art. They did like um, Mikey and they did a couple others like split second, but they have some cool stuff. Uh, Mortuary I was excited for because I had the Scorpion release and this one um, just had the better, the better packaging and everything. And it comes with like a fridge magnet. So I was like, <laughs> eh, I'll scoop it up. <laughs> so like my, my fridge is slowly becoming like covered in like these horror VHS box covers. Um, but that was, that was really the only thing that I had. I haven't been buying anything obviously because I'm trying to save some money for fall stuff, but um other than that, um, I think we should get to the meat of the episode with the I Know What You Did Last Summer franchise. The bones of a story. The meat of this episode. Follow me for more tasty all right so we are back with i know what you did last summer i still know what you did last summer and the best title of any sequel in a trilogy i'll always know what you did last summer (laughs) (laughs) so what do we let's start with the first let's start with the first movie all right, so okay. I know what you did last summer. It came out in '97, and you were six years old uh, <laughs> with me in the movie theater with mom and dad. We watched this. Dad was like pissed off because mom and I kept jumping, and you were, of course. Yeah. Um, this is one of my, and I've mentioned this in the past, but this is one of my favorite theater experiences because this movie is full of slasher jump scares uh-huh. uh for that time it came out it was more akin to an 80s horror movie so i think it kind of goes more with the urban legend of the hook wielding killer uh mm-hmm. like above the car like that whole thing known as the hook um so i think if i was going to compare it maybe like house on sorority row or like prom night kind of has that more of that kind of vibe to it than anything like scream or urban legend um but well this one actually came out for urban legend but either way uh famous movie made a shit ton of movie shit ton of money uh started kickstarted a franchise with two sequels and we enjoyed it in the movie theater do you remember watching this movie at all? Like, I, I mean, you probably don't remember it when you were that young, but do you remember when you first watched this movie, what you thought? I can just see dad like, uh, like 
kind of popping a Xanax, trying to not to get us to notice, like how stressed <laughs> out he was. <laughs> How stressed out he probably was in the movie theater. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was jumping, too. I don't know why he's trying to play. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so this started from the novel, I Know What You Did Last Summer, by Lewis Duncan, uh, directed by Jim Gillespie and written by, of course, the man himself, Kevin Williamson. Um, this was one of those movies that was like, and I don't remember that first showing. I always have to ask you, like, you know, because uh, I thought I thought it was either this or, like, Scream 2. That was my first theater, like, horror experience. And I was like, yeah. like this movie was one of those movies that's like so important to my horror makeup. Um, and I know that some horror fans like kind of cringe at this era, like, uh, but or might gasp or clutch their pearls at the, at a statement like that. But you got to remember that I'm like early 30s, 31, so I was a kid when all these were coming out. So it's like this was kind of like my golden era. Like I used to think that Freddie Prince and Ryan Felipe were like so cool and you know, I had a huge crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt and Buffy, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, Sharon Michelle Geller, but they were all heartthrobs. So it's like all of the teens in the movie were like, uh, like it was an excellent cast, you know, similar to the faculty and Scream. It was like all these heartthrobs and they're all getting picked off. But yeah, and then like you said, with that, that urban legend feel of it, like the hook for a hand, you know, the, the hook guy and shit. Yeah. But I was texting you. Um, earlier this week and I was like this would be a good idea to get into this series because I love the fucking like the soundtrack and the feel to this first one and it starts out with Typo Negative's com- cover of Summer Breeze which is how I discovered Typo Negative and I fucking love metal 90s rock and stuff like that but that opening man where that camera is just panning across that like eastern seaboard of like uh, the sea like you can tell it's east coast because it's all rocky and you know it looks cold as fuck and stuff um but it's like and then it goes up onto that hill and it, it's like dude it, that is just like one of the most killer openings and uh atmosphere setting openings like in in my opinion in like horror films at least oh definitely i love that opening man it's very cinematic yeah yeah yeah, I, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Like, the opening with the music and the camera panning across the ocean and then the 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 village and the town that's by the sea. Like, mm-hmm. I I think I think that's one of the cooler setups for a movie because it the the whole town becomes a character itself. Mm-hmm. Like, you see all of the places that. Uh, whether it's the Fisherman's Wharf or whether it's where Helen and her sister work at that shop, um, or even when they're like driving around the town to, to go see, um, I, I forget it. Uh, David Blue, I think is was his name. The guy that actually was being killed by the fisherman. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I can't remember I, his name. Dude, I remember up until like, even up until a year ago, we were watching with Katie Kerr. And I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I just watch it and be like, yeah, you know, it's just this some dude with a fucking hook. I don't know, like all these plot, you know, all this plot switching and, you know, uh, reversals and like, uh, you know, red herrings. But yeah, setting up that brother on because it's that lady's brother. And you realize early on that he like you find out that it's his, his body or something that washes ashore. 
right. But you remember he's flipping that thing. Uh, I think it's like a coin or something. And that sound is like creepy, even to this day to me. Yeah. And that's, and that's what the fisherman takes with him. Yeah. Um, and so it makes you think that it, that's the killer. And they did a clever uh, like red herrings with like making him make it seem like he was the one that was ran over and then visiting her like through the movie. And there were lots of twists, which I think they were trying to do that, establish that whodunit with teen slashers uh, more so because of Scream, obviously. But um, this one, I think it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, I don't think as meta as, as Scream, but there were moments that, you know, the, the way that their dialogue or their interactions, they were, they were more uh, 90s centric than I think I was at that age. So you could tell that it was a, a product of its time. Oh, yeah. um, but just like all of the scenes, like if you take all of the horror away and you like take the scenes where they're like at the 4th of July celebration or even when they're at like Helen's pageant or whatever, like I like all those scenes with them. I think they really work well, like, I believe that they were kind of friends sort of. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, you're right. Like the, the time that uh, this came out, I mean, it was fresh off of a uh, scream the year before, which mm -hmm. actually led into 97. So then you had um, this movie, which I think was your first movie. And then that December was scream two that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a pretty big year for for this and this is really like the the time that teen slasher movies really were like hot and all of these heartthrob like cw which it wasn't cw but you know the the dawson's creek the buffy like all of those uh, tv shows party of five all those characters all those um actors in those movies or shows were in sorry that's my cat going crazy <laughs> um they were featured in these teen slasher body count movies. And so that was kind of a, of a cool time to, to see like all these famous people. I mean, you see Courtney Cox and like all these, all these people in these movies, but um, the soundtrack for this one, I think is definitely like the best of, yeah. of that era yeah. um, of, I think it's even better than the scream soundtrack, to be honest. Yeah. 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 It's dope, man. Like I said, this brought me on the typo negative. There's a corn song at the end. Proud. So yeah 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 <laughs> and i was just like it's just that era man um, oh yeah i mean in the trailer it has kula shakers hush which is an awesome song as oh, its yeah. own but then putting that in the trailer where you see like cuts of like uh helen running and like all that cool chasing like yeah that was a they knew how to they knew how to market to the teens because we were all eating it up <laughs> i will say freddie prince jr is fucking terrible in this movie <laughs> have you watched it recently i love this fucking movie and we were watching it last night and he's like yeah i don't have all the money i, I i'm a i'm just a poor guy i'm gonna fry and then he's like <laughs> and then he's like it's a dialogue right when they hit the dude and then he's like i don't think i can barry like right after that when they're like <laughs> and barry's like this big asshole but you kind of see his point like to a certain point because you're like Freddie Prince was just fucking down to, do, to dump this dude. And then they get to go to dump him. And he's just like, I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of dopey. Yeah, he is, dude. Yeah, he's, he's pretty dopey in this movie. He is, but... And he's even... I, I, yeah, I think he's even dopier in the second one. 
because they have the whole setup in the beginning where he like gets ran off the road and like him and his friend are like singing, I think, Journey or something in the song. <laughs> and then they get like they happen upon the the mannequin underneath the car or whatever. <laughs> And the dude gets his friend gets fucked up with that hook. Oh, dude, that's like one of the better kills in that in the franchise. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Ray's a dope. Uh, I yeah. I like Julie and Helen a lot. Oh, I, yeah. I I'm so sad that Helen bites the dust in the first movie. Yeah, because her chase scene and her like, well, first I was a, I was a huge Sarah Michelle Gellar fan in my teens. I love mm-hmm. Buffy. Love this movie, love Scream 2, like all the movies she did. But it was really rough watching her die in this one because you see, I mean, she covers the town. She covers a cop car. She covers her parents' door. Like she is putting in the work. She is cardio all across town. And he still finds a way to get her. And that's what's like, (laughs) that's what's so sad. And the Um, sad part too, like, the who was the who was the other local guy that liked Jennifer Love Hewitt? Was it Max? Oh yeah, uh, it was David from Roseanne. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, a lot of big a lot of big actors in this movie from that nineties. But like he gets like one of the worst deaths, and it's like he didn't do shit. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck does that fisherman have to do with him? Because like, remember he gets uh, he's all pissed off about Barry like intimidating, and he's like, um, what does he say? He's like, I'll get your quarterback in ass or something (laughs) and he's like and then the hook the um uh the hook man or the the fucking fisherman remember that death is like so hard to watch where like it shows the blood like splash against the ice but he like turns around and gets hooked right through the jaw oh yeah this drug and you're like fuck yeah the i mean the kills were pretty good in the movie like and one of the most confounding aspects of the movie which I think is also um, it's led by the, the, one of my favorite scenes is when the fisherman is starts taunting them. So mm. he obviously taunts Barry like at the gym, which I think is a cool scene where you see the fisherman's first sort of uh, the way he looks. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that scene is spooky, man. That it's really spooky. Been spooky to me. Yeah, he just like kind of uh, you know he runs him down with his own car, his BMW. And then he like is above him, like he walks above him really slowly, and then he just pulls out the hook and fucks with him, and then that's it. And then Helen, like you see Helen coming home, you know, she's like having a rough day. And for some reason, this movie always made me like creeped out by stairs like that because there's this scene where she's walking, like she's getting her stuff. And her dad's just sitting there watching TV and she's like getting ready to walk up the stairs and you see him, the fisherman, the last step. And then you see like his coat, like at the end. And that always creeped me out. Like every time I walk up like stairs, like I always expect to see somebody like walking, like I'm walking behind them. You know what I mean? That just like really creeps me out. But then he just like hangs out in her room and like he like (laughs) butchers her hair and he just really, really like gets evil with them. Like that was like her pageant moment or whatever. Like, and so he like took that away from her. And I just thought that was like pretty cruel, but yeah, there's some really creepy scenes in this first movie. I think the first movie as it's, as a, as its own is it's, is a, is a really perfect 
good slasher movie. Yeah, I love it, man. I I love this movie. Uh, and that fisherman's petty as fuck, as we'll see in the next. He one really as well. is. He He's even put like crabs. Sassy. Yeah. <laughs> he put crabs in Julie's trunk, and then they just kind of disappeared. Yeah, he, he he found a way to make them disappear as well. Yeah, he's sassy and he's fucking pissed off, and he's like, I I, I don't even know. He's he's like a drama queen. Yeah, I, it's awesome though. Like he does, like the the way that he fucks with them is like ingenious. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> The the guy that plays Amuse Watson, he was really good in the in the role. Like I think he really he he did what he he did uh, best, which was be this sort of intimidating, imposing, uh, quiet character. And I just love the end where Julie sort of has pieced pieced it all together, and he just comes in and he's facing her, and you, you like see that it's him. And I I just think that that's cool. I think. Um, I think as a whole, the first one's cool, but where it gets kind of crazy is the second movie. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what happened to like the plot or like, I don't know why we needed to get them to like a different place. I think they could have done the sequel in the fisherman's town and it would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit about this and um, I guess, so Kevin Williamson didn't write part two. And I think yeah. that's what really hurt it. Like, it's an amazing movie. <laughs> it is. It is good. It's um, so bad. It's good. But he had. So he was writing fucking Dawson's Creek, The Faculty, Halloween H2O. And he was gearing up to direct Teaching Mrs. Tingle. All in like that same year. <laughs> yeah. So it's like he had to bounce off this and Scream 3, which I didn't know. I didn't know he didn't write Scream 3 either. Um, yeah, Scream yeah. Three's. It's you can tell that Scream Three went down in quality. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Once Jay and Silent Bob fucking popped up, popped up, you're like, right. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the second one, like, okay, so you meet Julie, you like, it's flash forward a little bit. Well, it's the next summer because it's I still know, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it's kind of like I still know what you did two summers ago. I kind of think. <laughs> But whatever, we're not going <laughs> to dig too far into the logic. <laughs> so speaking of logic, uh, Julie clearly isn't good at geography. Um, yeah. she, she wins the radio stations, uh, which isn't actually a radio station, but she wins the contest uh, to get them to um, the island in which the uh, fisherman is from, I guess. <laughs> Dude, so, it is such a why. convoluted plot. It really the is. Yeah. That he goes to to like put them through hell is like so bizarre in this movie. It's real bizarre, and like he was already there in Boston where Julie was, right? Like he'd already tried to like fuck with Ray because that's how. That's I mean, oh wait. I think Ray was on his way there, or Ray was back home. It's very confusing. There's like. There's all kinds of like things happening. Yeah. People are in different towns and countries and all kinds of shit. But long story short, they end up in a different country and <laughs> you meet the best character of the franchise, which is Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of Jack Black in this movie? The scene stealer that he is as Dude. Titus Telesco. Dude, I don't know how, why he agreed to it or like... I. 
he's a he seems like a good dude. So he probably thought it was hilarious that they wanted him or like he, I don't know I don't know the story behind that. But yeah, he has like he has like so he's like the fucking scene stiller of this movie like you said like the scene when he scares that docker when he's like (laughs) (laughs) and then they first meet him and he's just like um he's like hello to the ladies how are you and then he's just like if you i got the bat guano and he's like going through all the different kinds of weeds that he's got and brandy's like um she's like take a bath or something and he's like damn woman that's cold Yeah, he is very much entrenched in the Caribbean. Is <laughs> he is rocking the Rastafarian like dreadlocks? He's got the weed going. I think now this is just me personally, but if they would have gotten rid of Will Benson, who is supposed to be the fisherman's son, yeah, that part was terrible. Yeah, if they would have gotten rid of him and made Titus his son. <laughs> And had Jack Black go full on crazy at the end, I think that would have been like a that would have been a ten out of ten for me. That would have been killer if Titus's like dreads were coming out of the fisherman costume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was just he really stole the movie. Like he <laughs> elevates this movie to to newer heights. Dude, I uh, I love the scene when Brandy and her boyfriend are in the pool. And he comes up out of the water and he's just like, <laughs> and then he's just like, uh, he like tries to take a peek at Brandy or something. And she's just, they're just like, get out of here, creep or something. He's and like, he's damn like, girl. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's good. And believe me, it is all good. And he floats <laughs> away. like, <laughs> Or when he's like casually like flip flopping down the dock to the guy that's there. Yeah. yeah. He's like about to smoke one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah, he hears that guy get killed and then he's like, he takes the inhale of the joint and then he's just like, mm, and then like keeps on walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude is, I mean, there really isn't much else to say about this movie. It's just Titus's movie. Um, I will say it was a downgrade in some of the soundtrack. Yeah. And I say that politely because Jennifer Love Hewitt was a singer and she did release How Do I Deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the less we say about that, we'll not talk about that. Is that the song where it's like, do, 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 like that main track as they're going? Is that her song? Yep. Yep. Okay. It's what, I think it's when they're on the plane, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. when they're like pulling into. But yeah, I, I, I wrote down a couple scenes, man, from this one. And it was the it, it's the Rio scene, right? When they're when they guess wrong and it's the wrong capital, and so that part of the plan's fucked up. But then one plan, one of the scenes that we always fucking died laughing at was the karaoke scene. Oh yes, shit? <laughs> they're singing like "I Will Survive" or something, and somehow he hacks into the fucking karaoke machine and writes like "I still know" or something. <laughs> Because you can do that, you know, like you can just randomly write in, you know, lyrics. Yeah, dude. Like, it's like the, the fucking sassiness of this guy. Oh, the other character that I loved in this was the bartender. You remember how like over over them the bartender was? Oh, yeah. She was very relatable. Like the whole staff, actually, like Jeffrey Combs as the guy that checks him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like the dock hand. Yeah, Nancy was her name. Yeah, she was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's what made this movie so good is not, I mean, really Ray and Julie were not that good in this movie. It was all of the side characters that were making it good. Yeah. Yeah. And I Brandy, I, of course. I used to get pissed when Brandy got killed. Like, um, at Brandy dies in this, right? No, 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 no. no she's she, a, she survives. Yeah, she lives. That's right. Okay. Yeah, she's yeah. Because this has that famous scene that I was telling you about, where they're like they're like throwing gallons of water on her face, and she's <laughs> trying to blink so she can see. <laughs> yeah, she survived not only the movie and the plot, but she also survived the actual production. Um, yeah. But yeah, I yeah I don't know. Like, I think she was a she was a more. That's the thing is I think Julie kept getting outshone by her her like the co-characters like Helen in the first one, Brandy as Carla in this one. Um, they were just like the scene stealers, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, Julie was pretty vanilla more or less. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I think the cast was good. I, I think this one is, is I'm not going to compare it to the first because the first is, is its own thing, but as a sequel, I think it's really fun. It's really good. I would score this one. Like if it was, if I was going to do the first one, I would say the first one's for me, like out of like slasher horror movies, like a nine out of 10. Yeah. I would say this one's probably like an eight out of 10 for me, just because it's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's enjoyable to watch. Still. Exactly. Yeah. It's not as bad where it's like, you, you still like, you laugh. Like we were dying laughing the last time we watched this. I think it was me. We were fucking just dying laughing. Cause it is one of those movies where it's like, it's almost so bad. It's like, and, yeah, uh, exactly. Like there was, there was, they were intending to do a serious teen slasher like the first one, and they did sort of the opposite. I remember when we when we went to the theater to see it, I was not a big fan of it. I was like, oh, that ending was shitty, you know, like that was stupid. <laughs> but over time, it's really grown on me a lot more. Uh -huh. uh, so yeah, I, I would say it's 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 very entertaining and a very so bad it's uh it's good way there were some standouts on the soundtrack uh blue blue monday from orgies on there um you got lamb uh there's a there's a good song from them imogen heap um sadly though because she released the her song i don't think that it did very well and so there there, there wasn't a lot of singles come out of it like the first soundtrack so uh but so before we get to the third one, I will say, I want you to tell, and this is something that we almost forgot to bring up, but do you remember dressing up like the fisherman that Halloween and we scared the shit out of mom? Do you want to tell us? Oh, story? yeah, yeah. that Yeah, I think I have that picture somewhere, too. I'll have to see if I still have it. Um, yeah, so you had you had a really kick-ass mask. It it. It wasn't really a scream mask, but it was like a like a death mask, and it was so cool. Um, but you had that you had a scream mask, but I remember we had the blackout uh, mask, and then I had that leather coat, which was like a long leather coat in the hook, and yeah, we scared like the shit out of mom. That was really fun. Mom's coming home stressed out, fucking long, you know, probably sixteen hour shift as a CNA. The yeah. whole the complete house is dark. And she opens the back door and fucking we probably take 10 years off of her life. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we like doing that to mom so much? Though? She she was like always on edge and shit. Uh, yeah, I was 
I don't know. We were, we would do that all the time. And I even did that like when I was staying with Mama for a while because I was like, I would grab like real knives and like jump out and scare her. And <laughs> she would get so pissed. She'd be like, you're going to kill me one day, you know, and she'd like, she'd like cuss a little bit. But there was just something about scaring them. And thankfully they lived through all those. But dude, I still like scaring Rose though. Like the other day, Rose was in the shower. <laughs> and I like got a pair of her pantyhose and put it over. This was like creepy as wow. hell, but it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I like got a pair of her dark pantyhose and put it over my face, and then I was just like out of the shower, and she was just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was like out of the shower now. Whoa, that's that's like super creep level. <laughs> yeah, I went to like I went to the voice too and shit, <laughs> which maybe <laughs> says something about me, you know, out of the shower now. <laughs> you know okay so here's the thing pranks are fun yes. i love pranking people and what i really miss is prank calling people yeah that to me was like the funnest thing i think of our childhood was like calling random random people up and just pranking the hell out of them and you really can't do that anymore you know I mean? <laughs> used to call our uncle bud would have uh and if nana's listening i'm so sorry but uh, remember our uncle Bud used to have something for sale, and you would oh, call, yeah. you would call and act like a woman, like trying to buy it, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, let me get the paperwork and shit." Oh my god, yeah, I used to do all these voices. So when when I was in like when I was in my twenties or like college, I would call um, and act as a woman. And if Marion's listening or Dustin, we would do this a lot. Um, <laughs> we would like fuck with people on like hotlines and we would call or uh, we would call, I would, I was, I was trying to explain to Gabe like what I did uh, this prank call. I forget what movie we were watching. It was like, it had to do with a prank call, but I called proactive and I told them that I was in the burn unit and that I was like informed (laughs) (laughs) and that their products like severely deformed my face. And I was like going on and I kept these people on the phone like so long. I, it was over an hour and I, like Dustin and our friend Jeremy and like Emily, like we were all there. We were just hanging out. And of course we were like buzzed. And I think after so long, we forgot that we were actually on the prank call. We were talking so long <laughs> and we were just having the, like, we were just like updating these people on like my whole journey after being burnt by proactive and it was just fucked up, but I miss those pranking moments. Those were like the funnest things. Isn't it funny how like you look back on some stuff and you're just like, oh, that was so fucked up. Like, it really like, was. Yeah, like Logan and I used to call like the same number over and over again. And we'd be, <laughs> we'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like this one, this lady and we'd be like, it's also good. Whoa. <laughs> she'd be like, why do you keep calling? <laughs> But we were like, you know, like eleven. You know, we didn't know. We were like, tor- we were like psychologically tormenting this poor person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And you're just like, oh, dude. Like that lady probably had like a rough job and shit. And she gets home and like these dudes keep on calling her. <laughs> <laughs> She's like paranoid and can't leave her home. Uh, you like change somebody's life. <laughs> She's agoraphobic and shit. Shit. See, that's the thing is like when you see these movies, these horror movies and people are like being pranked, you never think (laughs) that your innocent phone call 
uh, could turn into. No, I'm just playing. All right. So with that, we're going to lead into the mecca of the sequels of this franchise. I'll always know what you did last summer. Yeah. Although it should be, I'll always know what you did last couple of summers ago. Yeah, in Colorado. In Colorado, <laughs> yeah, of all places, right? <laughs> so we're moving from the Fisherman's Village, the Fisherman's Wharf, to a hipster Colorado town. Uh, it's a standalone sequel. This one treats uh, the fisherman more like an urban legend. He's more like Jason Voorhees, which who teleports and has yeah. demon red eyes, I think, at some point. Um, I remember explaining that to you. I was like, oh, no, he's cool. He's kind of like a zombie, like, fisherman. And you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think of this one? This one's an odd one. I um, I, I got to be honest. I do not have that. Those first two are like gospel to me. Like even the second one is like a got like gospel to me, and it perfectly encapsulates that time period, like the the mid to late nineties, you know, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, yeah. This one, I think they waited too long, and I fe- I found a bit of trivia that like um, I think this was just on IMDb. I haven't like fact checked this, but it it said it was announced in two thousand, and it was originally um, uh, supposed to star Jennifer Love Hewitt, Brandy, and Freddie Prince again. But they waited, like the script got scrapped, or you know they were doing other stuff, or you know, um, I was like, man, that, what what could have been like, you know? And I think they missed that. Even by two thousand, they probably were missing that. Even though, well, Valentine was like oh one, right? Yep, Valentine was oh one. Um, yeah, so this one, yeah, they kind of missed the teens, the whole teen slasher cycle too. Yeah, I think if this would have came out in like '99, you know, or like, you know, maybe a year after, um, maybe like '99, 2000, I think we could have still got like, because you can tell clearly, and I dug the whole undead fisherman kind of thing, but it's like you can tell clearly that the budget was way, way down, um, you know, stuff like that, and. It, it just doesn't have that same 90s feel, you know, because what this come out in like 2006 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it, it, it's also coming out after, you know, like Saw movies and like House of a Thousand Corpses, I think yeah. was so like all these really extreme movies. And it didn't really I don't think really knew like it kind of lost its audience, I think, already. Yeah, the um, kids weren't the same. Like, you know, you didn't have those big, like, stars in it and shit like that. It was just a whole different kind of uh, ball game here, like, to me. Yeah, I think, the, I think the only person that I recognized in this movie uh, was the it was the dark-haired character. I think her name, and here it shows Zoe, but she was on, uh, she was Tom Haverford's, this is like a Parks and Recreation, like, throwback. <laughs> but she was on. She was Tom Haverford's girlfriend for like a few seasons on the show. Um, but that's the only thing that that's the only like real uh, actor that I knew from this one. This one was kind of uh, it, it suffered the direct video. Yeah, uh, I think equality too. And you touched on this, but it's like the style, like the post saw, post um, like that early two thousands kind of horror feel, like Wrong Turn and all that stuff the cuts in this movie are like 
almost seizure inducing. And Rob Zombie kind of does that <laughs> bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like Rob Zombie yeah. kind of does that shit too, where it's like, yeah, cut, that cut, flash cut, editing. Cut, 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 cut. It's like yeah. extreme cut. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I think that's I'm so either, fucking annoying. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of movies from that time, a lot of slasher movies or like horror movies that did that shit. And it's, it's super annoying to watch. I don't know if it's that. Um, it kind of reminds me of like, that's why I hate found footage. Yeah. Because I don't, I, I just, I'm nervous and like my eyes are like scrambled trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, well, I don't even know what the hell happened to these characters because I've been so, like, I've been trying to stay like lucid during this whole hypnotizing flashing scene. Um, but yeah, I, I get, I, there's a lot of criticism for this one and there are some i think if it was its own thing maybe it would have probably been like a little better it, because it's tied to such two entertaining movies yeah it's a really big downgrade um i don't mind it so much i actually um i bought the 88 films uh release which is the box set for i know what you did last summer Super cool. If you can find it, you can probably find it on eBay. It is a region B. It is locked. I'm assuming that either Scream Factory or Severin will release it because typically from the 88 films catalog, both of those boutique, both of those boutique labels have released their uh, releases for region A. But um, and for the, the first one doesn't even have a proper D, uh, Blu-ray, does it? Am I wrong about that? Well, the first two do. The first two have Sony Blu-ray releases, but they need they they are suffering from an upgrade. So the transfers are just that's right. That's Sony right. does good transfers. They probably do the best transfers, but those those could be updated. It's been a while, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So yeah, this this third one was only released on DVD. So when eighty eight films released this, they did all three Blu-ray. Um, they all have the original art, all really nice, sturdy cases. And then they put like poster cards. They put a new poster with the new art artwork. And um, yeah, the, the artwork's pretty killer. I'll have to post it. But it's it's basically the fisherman with like the fireworks in the background. And then it has like um, Rip Julie James, like with the tombstone. It's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm they looking did at that right now. It is killer. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then they released like a slimmed down version of that where it's just the case, the box case with the discs. Um, I don't think it has, um, I don't know if it has uh, the specific box per se, but I, I know it has the box artwork on it. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely plug 88 Films for that because they really, they really put out a cool release for this. Um, I think that the only one that was really upgraded was the third movie for the blue, because I think the other two are similar to what Sony released. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not really been 4k uh, upgraded. So I'm sure that will come out eventually, but um, which yeah, there's I a, that, I need that second one on 4k. It's time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from, from, uh, from screen factory. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say definitely check that box set out. I'm sure when they release the upcoming uh, streaming series that they're doing, they'll probably do something like that too, just to have it out there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, they're doing, I think they're going to do more of the Lois Duncan novel and less of the Fisherman. What do you think about that? Uh, 
yeah see i don't know uh so i have you read the novel uh it's been a while i know it's definitely not like the movie um i know there's no fisherman um see i think they could do the fisherman still like i wish they would do the fisherman still because he's like so he's kind of like iconic in that series um and i don't know if he is like the other horror fans and stuff but i always kind of dug his look and stuff I yeah, I think so. I think when it was announced that that they weren't going to use it, I think there was a lot of pushback. So they may end up wedging the fisherman in there. I mean, it's as iconic, I think, to me as the killer in the first urban legend or the ghost face and scream. Like, I think that's the top three. When you think of like teen slashers from the 90s, those are the three that at least I think of. Um, yeah. And they got to set it in like the seaside town, like the East Coast. Like, yeah. They can't go to like Jamaica or again or like you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't go to Colorado. Like they need to stop moving around. Like let's let's set it in like one seaside town like they did in the first one and like kind of leave it there. Like you know like leave that legend there because it kind yeah. of doesn't work other places. Like it really doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't need to be an international <laughs> affair. <laughs> It doesn't need to reach all the bases out there. Like it's it, it, a fishing village in the middle of of the Northeast is going to be where it needs to be. Could you imagine the the fishermen on a plane to like Greece <laughs> <laughs> to go splashing? Yeah, I mean, I think out of all the killers in the '90s, team slashers, this one, like you said, he's pretty sassy. He's pretty petty. Um, he. Yeah, he's cool. I, I think he needs some more love. I think they need to, if anything, they need to revamp. Uh, I would be okay with them revamping the series and just doing, and I know what you did last summer, reboot and doing The Fisherman again. I think that would be a cool way to just do it with a new audience in mind. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I agree. 100%. It's a simple story. I mean, it's a prank gone wrong. Or it's actually, it's not a prank. It's an accident gone wrong. Yeah. And um, I think the closest thing that we got to that was like Sorority Row, Uh with that similar like back again the next summer uh accident gone wrong you know kind i of dug thing. that one too by the way i did too yeah i remember when we went to see that uh it was it was pretty cool yeah yeah so um so what would you rate this franchise i mean where would you rate it between like scream and urban legend like where where does it go for you it definitely doesn't touch scream because scream is kind of and i've used this word a couple times scream is kind of like I even enjoy, like, I enjoy all the installments of Scream. I think they're all pretty strong. Like, even the third one. Yeah. I think the third one is hilarious. Like, you know, uh, Parker Posey's character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the third one is fucking hilarious to me. Um, but the Scream ones, I think, would be above this. I, I would actually put this one. I think Urban Legend is the better movie of, like, any of the, like, the, um, I think Urban Legend's right behind Scream as far as movie goes. Yeah. But I, I like this series a little bit better because of the second one. I think they're it's very similar to Urban Legend now. Like, I think Urban Legend and this are like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the second Urban Legend, we should, we should cover that eventually because yeah. I think the second one is really kind of... Uh, it's got that uh, kind of crazy vibe to it, too. Like, yeah. it, it's... And then with the Hitchcockian Indian... End, end, ending, excuse me uh with the music playing and the teacher being wheeled down by the by the killer in the first one like that those elements were very kooky so 
uh, yeah. and then the third one's kind of cool too. I like the third one. Yeah, the uh, the third one was the uh, Bloody Mary, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, that one and the third one of this one, you could tell went down in, in to direct to video, like the dump. But yeah, they're still pretty entertaining. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I dig I dig both series. Uh, I think they're pretty. Like you said, the the second one in each of them were fun, and um, I think Jack Black puts this one over the top though, as far as. <laughs> as far as series goes <laughs> oh yeah and then i mean um there were some i mean because of scream because of i know what you lost summer and urban legend like there were a lot of you know direct-to-video successful uh slasher movies there was did you ever watch final stab oh yeah yeah that one's a fun one um do you want to know a secret was a really fun one too uh i'm trying to think of some others but well valentine of course valentine and... is fucking dope Oh yeah, Valentine is definitely uh, one of the top ones for me, and of course, um, you know all the all the sequels that went with all of the Scream and uh, Urban Legend, and all those. So here's a deep one that I always I always kind of liked was um, remember Lovers Lane? What was that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did that one too. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was like a, a hook killer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. It had the uh, it had Anna Ferris was in that one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. That's yeah, that's a that's a deeper cut there. And um, I think it's called Deep in the Woods, which I think came around like 2002, maybe. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one. It's more of a Italian giallo teen slasher movie. Uh, no, I have not seen that one. Um... Uh, what was it called again? Uh, it's called Deep in the Woods. And okay. it's got like a, uh, it's got a werewolf masked killer. Um, really? And they're, they're like at this, these teens are at this. Um, yeah, it came out in 2000, actually. Uh, it's a French slasher film. I just looked it up. Um, it's a, it's about a troop of actors who are hired to perform at a remote chateau for Baron Axel de Fersen when they find out the madman is on the loose murdering and the madman is wearing a werewolf mask and it's got a lot of really cool yellow uh, uh, moments in it, but it's a teen slasher. I think you should really check it out. I believe it is on um, Amazon maybe or Tubi, but okay, I'm yeah. writing that down. Yeah, definitely. I think you would dig it because I know you like werewolf stuff, but this so, is more of a teen werewolf mass slasher. So um, one, one other recommendation that I had, if anybody's never seen it, uh, was, uh, and I think it, it missed, it went fairly unnoticed in the theaters, but it was one that uh, Mom and I, I think, went out, went out to see. Um, I, I think it was Mom and I, at least, um, but it was Cry Wolf. You remember Cry Wolf? Yeah, yeah, that was a cool one, too. Yeah, that... Um... That one had uh, Bon Jovi, I think, in it, right? Yeah, as the uh, yeah. as the principal, or um, yeah, the... I always dig like campus set. That's one of the reasons why Urban Legends, like one of my favorite '90s horror movies of all time. But I always love like sit on the campus, like a small campus, or Scream Two. You know, it has that same, similar feel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's uh, Cry Wolf. I think. Um, I do have that one on Blu-ray. It's not been released in the States yet, but I did find a really cool uh, Region B release of that on eBay. And um, I don't know if you can, 
some of those region Bs you can watch on region ones um, depends on how they're locked. But um, yeah, cry wolf, I think is itching for a, a nice Blu-ray release. It's kind of one of those that I think has flown under the radar, but I've heard other people giving it some more love lately. So I, th- I think it's got more, I think it's more clever than a lot of people allude to. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been a super fun episode. We've thrown out a ton of recommendations for teen slashers. Obviously, the uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer franchise is one of our favorites. Um, we threw out some Fear Street uh, uh, reviews. We, we both really enjoyed it and some uh, book recommendations. So listeners, if you're out there and if you are wanting to give us some feedback on anything that you'd like to hear in future episodes, let us know. Uh, definitely after this conversation, I'm thinking we should go in an urban legend direction uh, later on. I think so too. Yeah, uh, I think that would be a really fun one to do because I haven't really revisited the third one in a while. So that'd be cool to do. Um, but other than that, is there anything that you want to cap off the episode with, Bob? I don't think so, man. I think we're good to go. All right. Well, with my squeaky chair, I'll let us take us out. And everyone stay creepy and tune in for more Brothers Grimm collaborations. Bye-bye.